Welcome to Pixel Pizza. Did she say pizza? Your ultimate source for chiptunes, video game talk, and pepperoni. Delivered to you from Los Angeles and into the digital cyberspace of the 2020s. Pizza power! That's right, when super giant pizza. I want a large, thick crust with double cheese, ham, pepperoni. Pizza time. Welcome back to the Pixel Pizza podcast. You just listened to the track title theme by our chiptune artist of the week, Giant Robot. And we are here with our interview segment for the episode. And I am talking with a guest I've been looking forward to speaking with for a little while. He has had quite the illustrious career and video games and is still going. He's done PR for companies like Capcom, 2K, Electronic Arts, and Nintendo. And he's now at Reverb Communications. This is Matt Atwood. How are you doing, Matt? Hey, good, Jared. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me on the podcast. Excited to be here. It's always fun to talk. You know, I've, I feel a little old when I start. You start going through the list. I'm like, wow. <laughs> I've been doing this for a while, um, and my kids still don't think I'm cool. What am I going to do? Wow. <laughs> no, it's, I think it's interesting because I would say the vast majority of the guests I've had are people who started more recently in the industry, and so to get a more veteran perspective is really good. Uh, I'm an old man. Getting there anyway. <laughs> I, I was, no, no, I'm, I'm not saying. Say <laughs> no, I no, I appreciate it. Um, it's been, honestly, it's been a hell of a ride. Um, I just look at, you know, some of those companies. When you mention those companies, I think about the people and not just, you know, from development to other friends I've made and all that. Like, just each of those things represents a time in my life. Because um, I really kind of grew up in, you know, early adulthood into the industry. And so, um, yeah, it's been it's been pretty awesome um, to have met so many people and worked on games that, you know, I was such a fan of, like when I worked at Capcom, I had just played through Resident Evil 2 and I'm like, you know, oh my God, this company reached wow. out to me. And, and so oftentimes I was starstruck though. I think I tried to play it cool. Um, but it's been, I've been very fortunate. Did it take some time to develop that skill to, play it cool <laughs> uh no i tried to you know i think when you're young I, for me anyway when i was young and i think it's part of human development right it's like you're kind of like well you know i'm i think it's really cool but i'm gonna try to it's like humble bragging oh yeah um and, and it's just a kind of a you know and it's like oh you know i don't care about this or you know trying to be cool because i was so starstruck i didn't want to look out of place i wanted to look like i belonged there and and um and I, starstruck might be the wrong word but just really like i'd grown up from the nes to the you know the original atari at my friend's house to uh programming 
you know, little basic programs out of, uh, I think it was, what was it, Computer Gaming Monthly? Or, you know, you, they, they had a bunch of basic text, and we sat in the Commodore 64, my brother's closet, because that's where he put his computer, and we'd try to write basic programs. So, to me, it was, like, always part of, it. it's funny, because it was always part of my life, so I didn't really view it as, it was just part of who I was. Anyway. Oh, so... Would you say it was really in those early days where you kind of knew right away that games was where you wanted to be? I was, you know, because I do PR and stuff, I was a very social bird. I don't think I knew what I wanted to do uh, when I was younger. I, I had an opportunity to do voices for some games. I was a local actor. You know, I didn't, I don't know if I, back then I really had a goal, except I knew I loved it was like, you know, and I think a, a lot of the 80s kids, it was part of like, you remember when you got your NES, like I, I do, I got it for Christmas from my grandmother, who we called Nanny, and we played mm -hmm. Kung Fu, I don't think I slept for three nights, and my parents got mad at us, and we couldn't believe this, like, we couldn't believe what was happening, Kung Fu was one of those first games at home I was able to play, and it was like, my god, I control it, it was, it was, it was crazy. But so, I, you know, in terms of did I know when I wanted to work in the industry, I think it all kind of I was fortunate in that it all kind of came together. I was an actor. Sure, I wanted to get paid for acting. So I did voices for video games. No way. Like, you know, that was kind of opportunistic. And then I was still kind of figuring out what I wanted to do. Um, but I talked to the company who, who hired me to do video games and I was able to get on there. It was very exciting to me. Um, I was going to do graphic design and layout and, and come oh, to find yeah. out at that time I was really bad at graphic. I didn't know anything about it. Um, and I was not good at it. It was harder to do back then, I think, because um, you had to mask all these images. And so like, I finally got a brochure together and it was packed in a package, but I needed a lot of help. But coincidentally, I was, you know, part of our job was answer phones. And so I started talking to the media and that, you know, I think just, the nature of my personality i love to talk to people to joke around and that's where you know fortunately victor island he said you know you should do this and this is what we want you to do and you're going to work with the media and i said heck yeah so it all kind of i was very fortunate um you know yeah kind that's of... really interesting origin story it sounds like it was very like a natural progression you sort of figured it out yeah, you do. And I think that's a lot of people's lives. I think when you're young, I look at my kids now, it's like, you don't have to figure out everything out early. It's good to have, you know, plans in place and, and you know, check the boxes and get good grades, but also explore your world. I'm a big fan of having my kids um, get out and get out there when they're older and um, go see the world and, and see different cultures. And I've been very fortunate to do that. So. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Travel is one of my favorite things. It's amazing, yeah. I'm excited. I'm going to Colorado in a few weeks. Oh, nice. What are you doing there? A uh, hiking trip. A trip with some friends, yeah. Beautiful, beautiful place. You're going to have fun. So mm -hmm. just be safe. Absolutely, yeah. You know, <laughs> pack a lot of stuff. Yeah. But anyway, uh, so, I mean, it's very interesting that you were in voice acting at that time early in the industry, because I feel like voice acting in games didn't become a huge thing until Metal, Metal Gear Solid, like yeah. when yeah. it was more mainstream. So what was it like when you were doing it? Well, it was, I was very, I was very fortunate. And if you go back, this was for a company called Working Designs. 
and they took a lot of games from generally, you know, from Japan, but I think also other parts of Asia. Um, and they um, um, brought them to the U.S. And, and the reality was, is those games would have probably never seen the light of day in the U.S. at that time. Mm -hmm. It was distribution and companies trying to figure out what to do. And so, um, but what was really fortunate is we could just be silly and record. And I think that is one thing that was more thematic about early days in the industry. There weren't a whole lot of rules and you could just be, to me, it was just being silly. And some of the characters we developed were just really goofy. I did a character called Sventian Common and we made a whole bunch, like a million Arnold Schwarzenegger references. <laughs> um, so I was lucky in that it was very natural because we were just, sitting in a studio cracking jokes and if something worked we threw it in the script you know victor was very much like okay is it funny kind of thing or does it work um but we were also mouthing so these games had already been created right and mm -hmm. so we were the the characters lips were already moving from the original game they didn't change that and so we had to mouth you know our lines had to match syllables or, or oh. beats and so it was really interesting to do that because we were watching a screen with it and he would keep playing it back and so we would try to match up to the mouth as much as possible so that was an interesting little thing to straddle um nowadays yeah. i think you know a lot at least with bigger games there's a lot more you know uh a lot more tools available and, and the games are developed and, and probably the mouth movement is developed after um so anyway it's it's interesting yeah, for sure. I've, I mean, voice acting is actually something I've been pursuing. So nice. I've been learning about like the differences between the dubbing scene and what's it, what's it like for original games and the performance capture. And they have so many interesting things that they have today. You know, I would say just go for it. Um, I think looking back, if there's one thing would have been more fun to do more of is that and you know now there is really a path for a career and um but there's a lot of people who want to do it and so you have yeah. to you have to constantly fight and show your passion and practice your voices and you know talk to a voice coach and learn techniques and watch a bunch of different you know people doing impressions and anyway it's like a whole thing oh, yeah. and the more voices and the more sort of natural delivery you can do the more more uh the, the better it will be at the end so anyway that's cool yeah thanks and uh, working a lot at it and yeah so then once you were in that pr space how did you learn the ropes um you know it was part of it was very natural and and i think in the early days there weren't a lot of ropes you know what i mean there mm -hmm. wasn't you know i think it was to me it was just like oh cool they want okay i'm gonna ch you know we're working on this game okay cool i have to i get to tell people about why it's cool um and that was kind of the fundamentals and then i think you know over time i i um part of what i did was i went to work for a technology agency sort of in between um i went from working designs to actually sega channel Oh, uh, if you remember that, I was like their streaming service, right? Way ahead of its time. <laughs> yeah, way ahead of its time. You could, you know, but you were downloading games. It wasn't necessarily. I mean, the service itself was streamed, but you had to download the games to your device. But honestly, it was incredible because you were just like renting. I think what did you pay a monthly fee and you, you got to play the new games that came out? 
Um, it was for wow. the Genesis. So um, that was, yeah, I, these guys were just way ahead of their time. It was pretty incredible. But um, so I went from there, like, look, I need to learn a little bit more formal training. And I was lucky enough to join a, a technology PR firm because I love technology in general. Um, where they had a lot of courses and um, I learned from people who had been doing it for a very long time. I learned from, they had a bunch of old New Yorkers too, and um, they'll tell you straight. And so, um, yeah, I think it was a combination of just trial by fire and um, working with good people who were willing to share. That's awesome. So how would you say you communicate the essence of what makes a game worth playing um i think you really have to dig in and get under the hood meaning like you have to one you have to be an active listener because you're talking to you need to talk to the people who are making the game and you have to like really listen and ask questions and sometimes you're going to make wrong assumptions and they're going to correct you um so you have to really listen to what their vision are what their belief is then you have to really play um and then um, I think you have to decide, am I going to, like, for me, there was a big sort of point in my career where it was like, am I going to, you kind of go through the motions because you're learning and you have some insecurity, or am I going to dive in completely? And to me, my life got much better when I dove in completely and appreciated um that this is a really cool entertainment medium and there's a lot of really, really smart people making these games um, and really creative people and, and unique people. And, oh. and so um, so I think the biggest thing is is sort of willing to let yourself feel and have passion and then convey that passion. But you need to know what you're talking about too. And so that's where you have to get under the hood. So um, I think, you know, Part of it is just talking to people. Part of it is rolling up your sleeves, using social media, also what you show. Um, I, I, you know, obviously showing assets or little key moments of games or looking for that emotional connection. Um, Cause that's a big thing to me is just like games, pretty much all games have some sort of emotional connection because it's entertainment, finding that and then expressing that and trying to explain that. And part of it is having real enthusiasm because I, it's like discovery. It's like solving a Rubik's cube each time you work on a new game. It's like, okay, what are they trying to do? What's unique? What's different? What does this person believe? Where are they headed? And then sort of putting it all together into something that people can understand. But I think they can also tell if you're lying or if you don't really know what you're talking about. And um, so you have to really work at that to have the knowledge. Yeah. So be genuine about it. Yeah. And, And, you know, I think that comes with some degree. I think that just comes with maturity and, you know, I still have, I think I'll always need to grow up in some places, but um, uh, I think, you know, when you look at it's not, it's a career too. And so you're supporting a family and and all these things. And so you start to develop the, you see the weight of it. Um, And I think, um, if any career, if you let that weight, you know, push you down, you can feel sort of trapped or you can embrace it. And I was like, look, I'm pretty lucky. I need to embrace it. So 
I think, you know, that's a little roundabout way, but I think in, you know, genuine being genuine and digging in and listening and engaging with people is just so important. Maybe now more than ever with, you know, the internet and all the, the different ways to communicate, you know, and you, you, you know, you watch any posts now and it's like, okay, you have the left side and the right side. Let's watch mm -hmm. that ping pong. And so I think like human connection and, and verbal cues and all those things are, are probably more important than they ever were. Yeah, I, I've always, you know, I've wondered what are some of the biggest differences between when you started doing PR when it was, you know, magazines and TV versus the internet now. <laughs> See, yeah, early days, like I'm trying to remember in the early days of PR, yeah, I think email, there were no website, you know, there were no websites really. Right. Um, it was all magazines. And when we sent uh, screenshots, we, it was on a little, uh, like a negative, like a, I forget what was it was called again. I should know. I, there, like a, it was a, like a piece of film yeah. that was, and they, they had a little machine or not, not real little, but a machine that would basically take a shot of the screen uh, that took a long time to take the shot. And then uh, you could print it out on, you know, Kodak film, and then you would send to the outlets via mail and then follow up on the phone to make sure they got them. Wow. Um, and yeah, there was something though, you know, I sound old, but there, for the, there was something really cool about that because you picked up the phone and people expecting you to call and you would talk. And so you were really connecting with people. Then you'd see them in person. And, um, so I think that was a really nice aspect to it, but sometimes, you know, I mean, with, with magazines, you had one magazine a month and very mm -hmm. limited space. Um, not every 20 second news and influencers and social media and, you know, 17 different places to get your news, you were picking up a magazine. And so um, you would work on a story. I think you'd spend more time with the media outlets. And um, I really enjoyed that. Um, not that I think what's going on today is bad. It's just, it was really, I have a lot of fond memories of, uh, of, uh, you know, just that experience. And, um, um, just getting to know people and meet people who are like me, but meet a lot of people who are different than me. I was born in a small town in New Hampshire. Um, and then we moved to California and I was, we're in Northern California, pretty small area. And I was like, Oh my God, culture shock. And then I went to San Francisco to work and I loved it. I, you know, from meeting people from all around the world to the food, like food from different cultures. If you've done traveling, you know, oh, yeah. it's, you could travel with your stomach and, and you know i have to some degree and i'm not as thin as i used to be but um it's been an, an incredible experience because um you learn a lot about cultures and um just beautiful architecture and the way some of the interesting cultural nuances and um ways to behave and it just really opened my eyes to you know just the four wall beyond the four walls around me yeah, and I think that's a good segue into, I was wondering, you know, you've done uh, PR for Japanese companies and you've done PR for Western companies. And what are some of the cultural differences you encountered? Well, so I think, um, you know, it's really interesting and there's a lot of emphasis put on that. And there are some really distinct cultural differences, but 
I don't think I've kind of thought about this for years, and I don't think it's just okay Eastern versus Western companies. Um, I think it's big versus small companies. Mm. Like when I've worked with smaller companies, and we work with I've worked with companies from you know England, France, Germany, Spain, you know, um, into Korea, you know, uh, South South Korea, um, China, um, Russia. And so what I found is some of the bigger differences um, are related to the size of the organization and the amount of um, freedom the people who work there have. Because um, oftentimes, you know, the old saying, like, you know, we're more different than we are alike. And I think that's true. Um, so, but I do think there's there's vastly different it's vastly different to work for a large corporation versus a small indie studio. Um, and there are both goods and bads of both of those. So in terms of cultural differences, you know, I think there are some, you know, the hierarchy, like speaking particularly of companies in the East, the hierarchies, uh, certainly in Japan, more pronounced. Mm-hmm. Um, China's there's nuances, differences, and we're generalizing to some degree, but um, though I, there are some nice formalities that i mean if you've been to japan or even studied about japan just just some of the ways that they package things and and um there's a lot of care put into uh sort of whether it be a product or how you communicate with someone um and i at first i was like okay this is so different um and and there are challenges um because we are culturally different and just to get to companies to understand, okay, no, no, no gamers in the U S or in the West, um, even though you you have to be careful about generalizing too much Mm -hmm. are in, you know, this is, they're going to respond to this more than this. And that can be tough because anytime a parent company is overseas, no matter what country, they're the parent company. Right. Um, And so you have to make a really good case in order to get things to, you know, in order to help your market in the best way you can. So, um, yeah, I don't know, like there are differences and and I think structurally, I think one of the reasons producers, you know, are kind of the spokespeople is how Japan structured itself. Um, you know, back in, you know, even starting with Miyamoto, but Mikami and Inafune and Mm -hmm. they have sort of their own units. Um, and so I think it, they really help drive structure in the West as well. Um, I, it's been fascinating. I was, we had a, um, when I was at uh, Capcom, uh, there was for four years, uh, Fukumoto-san um, and I worked together and he traveled with me on PR and the the humor like just watching him react to the differences in culture, like why would you do that, or why would, <laughs> and then also trying the food he liked, all those experiences. But also, but on encounter, he was teaching me a lot about, you know, the different communication styles, and and um, gave me a really deep understanding. And um, I just connected with him recently because I was had such fond mem- memories. So um, most people just want to raise either have a family or if you don't have a family just have a good life and sure. uh, i think that's very universal obviously the way governments behave the way um 
political stuff happens that gets in the way sometimes i think obviously you know history between the countries too matter um there's a lot of pride and i think every country has a pride so all of those things come into play in a work environment to me it's about stripping down past that stuff um and sometimes i've been too too uh too pushy on that because you know americans have a reputation and i think earned that we can be pushy and come in and know this is the right way and i think um you know learning to listen and um show respect is an important uh aspect that i you know i think i developed more of as i mature definitely had instances where i've traveled to other countries and i've been very embarrassed about the loud-mouthed americans around yeah (laughs) yeah i mean look and i think that's yeah i mean on the other side of it i do believe we're we are like you know we've done some really great amazing things too and it's a shame sometimes i think we're so proud of you know every country has their own dynamic of that but but we do in certain places especially we stick out more than others um and that's not everyone i'm sure you and i go um but it's also depends like to some degree on how homogenous a society is right um i think japan has opened up a lot uh in recent years but there's still primarily um you know japanese people there and um and so you stand out more. And so sometimes those things get highlighted just because of that when really, but I had a lot of fun. I related a lot to the producers and colleagues in Japan. So um, there were just some like, you know, formalities that I needed to learn. And I still am not perfect at, you know, I have to remind myself. So, but I also think, you know, more companies these days are opening up to to global the idea of you know the world what they're doing being global and that they have to have an open mind and you know we've worked with a lot of companies i worked with a company recently from china and they're like okay but we want to know we want to understand how things are different and so you know education anyway long answer sorry yeah uh no very interesting answer for sure uh so what's something about your personal process that nobody knows um <laughs> that nobody knows um okay well i always have two drinks this is just funny <laughs> um uh one is coffee or tea and one is tea one is hot and one is cold one is tea or soda which or you know i do a lot more tea now because soda is bad for you but i still right. drink soda um so um that's kind of funny but i also it's kind of like i i draw a parallel between how i like to approach things if you were to take acting because that was kind of what i loved when i was young and really i would say i'm a method actor in terms of my process if you were to apply that to pr um i wasn't always that way and i think that was a miss because i wasn't showing and opening myself up um so i like to dig in and i pay attention to my feelings but when you're young, you pay attention to your feelings and you're like, blow, blow them out there, right? Um, and I don't mean just, I, by young, I mean when you're new to something. Um, you're like, okay, well, it's this. But you, but you, And you still have a lot of stuff you don't know. And I think now I've learned to um, listen to those feelings and explore them and then pull someone else in and explore it and decide if there's a conclusion that can help us. So... And then, you know, I also 
to that note, I use my wife and kids a lot as sounding boards. Um, you know, we did a we did a trailer for uh, this new product, Game by Flex, and I had picked the song for it, and I was like, I think this is really catchy, but let's find out if it's really catchy. And so I sat down with my wife and kids, and my my son said that's like an Apple commercial, which was awesome. And then my wife said that song is really catchy without any. So, you know, that was like, okay, that's my initial reaction. The The internet may feel differently, but at least I'm getting good feedback. Yeah, no, it's, it's always great when you can get like a fresh pair of eyes or ears on something. Well, and I think that's important. Um, you know, you have to kind of look at your instincts and, um, listen to how you feel because we're in the entertainment industry and so we can't remember we can't forget it's it's fun and it's fun doesn't always mean like when you watch a sad movie are you having fun um i think in a way you are um and so you have to listen to that because that's why people play games because it provides them something some sort of emotional aspect yeah i think emotion is definitely the through line Have there ever, I'm curious, have there ever been any like marketing campaigns for games that you've seen that you haven't worked on where you were like, I would do that totally differently if I was in control? Oh, you know, it's funny. That's funny question because I don't really, I mean, sure, probably, you know, we're all judgy, right. but I don't really look at it that way. I, when I see something that I wouldn't do that way, I'm always like, why did they do it that way? What were they trying to achieve? Oh, that's what it is. So I don't, you know, there's, there's like, you see things that you're just like, how did this work? Um, I've certainly had moments where um, I've thought something that was wrong and, you know, based on, you know, my, you, you, I got stuck in sort of what you were talking about, the transition of PR from early days to then. And so you, you were kind of stuck in this traditional mindset for a while. Um, and it took a bit to transfer over. So um, if you hear my dog in the background, sorry, he's a, he's kind of a puppy. So um, all good. You might hear mine soon. Okay. Later. All right, all right. He's, he's escaped somehow. I think my son just got home. So. He's a corgi and a husky mix. So he's wow. Like, <laughs> That's an interesting mix, big and you, small. Yeah, and uh, they actually, if you were to parse them out by traits, they're actually more similar than you think. Really? Um, it's just, yeah, like their snouts are similar. They both have the stand-up ears. They oh, yeah, get yeah. the markings around their eyes. So it's kind of funny, and I thought that's kind of a cool combo. He is really misbehaved though, um, mm -hmm. really misbehaved, and he talks a lot, so it's funny. My dog is a Chihuahua Whippet mix. So, oh, he, wow. The body of a Chihuahua, but very long legs. <laughs> the the combos. We yeah. have a Chihuahua too. So, <laughs> um, anyway, that's funny. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, let's see. What else did I want to talk about? Uh, getting to more modern day, um, what are some of the like unique aspects of working with influencers you know influencers were it's like okay when the when the internet and i'm old enough to know okay when fan sites came around 
because that was what everything was at first on the internet, right? Right. Um, um, we were like, what the hell do we do? Because they, their life cycle is, I mean, at the time we're like, they're daily versus, um, and, and at the time they were probably more daily versus, you know, monthly. Um, and so we had to just adapt and learn. And I think influencers, and, and then, you know, it evolved as well. It's kind of parallel, right? Because when something new comes along, it's more like the Wild West. Yeah. And then, and then you start to say, okay, how is this going to work? Um, I think, you know, what's really positive is you can get more feedback, you know, not only just because influencers will sometimes play your game and give you feed. You can hire influencers to do that as well um, and give you feedback. And also you can see on air someone actually playing and how they play your game. Oh, so yeah. from a development and marketing standpoint, that's really interesting. Um it gives you an authentic real it, well in terms of exposure it gives you like authentic real-time exposure so if you time it right and um you know i think um um apex did a really uh really good job of how they timed influencers you know they had a budget right but um, a big budget um but they used that sort of collective power to really focus people's attention um so i think you know all of those things are really positive. I think there are, you know, anytime there are a whole bunch of influencers, anyone can, you know, be quote unquote, be an influencer. And, and that's how, you know, everyone got their start as just doing their thing. So um, it's, it's navigating that many people and, you know, figuring out who is the right person to, you know, either to hire or to pitch organically for a game. And, um, you know, there are tools, fortunately, that's like, okay, what games do these people play? And and also our team, you know, gets in and just gets to know them. And one of our team members is, um, which I was a big fan of, is hiring someone who's, she's a creator herself. Mm -hmm. And so she has like 80,000 followers on Twitch and 30,000 followers on Twitter. And so she, there's a lot more, I think, you know, the theme is authenticity. Um, but I, it's different too. It's just like there's less structure and um, uh, that can be very confusing and it can be very hard sometimes. Influencers, because they're authentic, they're not always going to say nice things mm. or things you might receive bad or, or hit the feature, you know, exactly as you hoped or whatever. Um, and I think you have to, you have to prepare development just like you did back in the day for media. Okay, look, your review scores, they're not always going to love you. Not everyone's going to be five out of five. We're expecting this. Um, and I think, you know, you have to prepare them mentally to say, look, you know, part of this is getting your name out there. Um, of course, we're not going to try to have someone say something negative, but if it happens, it's not the end of the world. It's the internet. Um, so, and then the other part is just figuring out a new medium. I think it's starting to mature now um, and for better and for worse. The challenge that influencers face is um, if you're authentic and and most of your content's paid, how does that square up? Right. You know? And and they have a right to be paid, so I'm not at all saying. But how do you keep what your audience loves you because you're you know aside from the ones that really blow up and and have a you know um, for whatever reason you know um, your audience likes you because you're authentic. And so how do you square? And so you are seeing them, you know, hopefully what happens is it all sort of balances out. So, um, you know, if it's this type of game or there are there are ways to connect uh, influencers more easily with 
the right kind of type of game because it doesn't really benefit you to have an influencer who plays FPSs exclusively to do a, you know, a, a card battle game necessarily, unless it's part of your strategy, if there's a real reason. So anyway, um, I think it's just solving that puzzle and watching to see how this this part of the industry is going to shake out because I don't know the answer to that. Um, it's certainly not going away at all. Um, it's just how does it all kind of settle in and how does it balance itself with paid versus organic? Be interesting. Yeah, it's been interesting definitely for me to watch as, uh, yeah, both a content creator and as right. and someone who watches other content creators <laughs> play games. Yeah, you kind of have to square up and it's like you you want you love this personality, you watch them because you really enjoy what they do. So you also want them to do paid content because they have to feed their family right. or they can't make content. It's just really interesting, like very sort of like I don't know if the right word is hyperactive, but this cycle that moves very quickly. Um and I think the ones I think the best ones and the ones who I don't know, I you know, I think I think a striking a really good balance between that those two and and just always being genuine is going to help a lot um but it's interesting it's interesting to watch for sure and where where do you see like gaming pr in five ten years with all these rapid changes well i mean that's like where if you think about how much we in, in you know five ten years really even the 10 years before the the most recent there's been a huge it's, everything changes so quickly yeah. so that in some ways that's hard to answer i think it's going to be refining i think you know social media is not going anywhere mm. um i think uh it is much more a pr person if only thing they're doing is media then they're already getting left behind or if the only thing they're thinking about is media they're starting to get left behind um because what a company does on their Discord and their social channels directly impacts the media. And so I have to understand and be in sync with all of those things. So um, I think refinement of the process, I think um, – boy, that's a tough question to answer because, you know, five years in this industry is like, you know – it's such a huge jump. So what will, will there be a next thing? Like in terms of entertainment, I, you know, back, I was one who back in the day is like, people don't want to watch other people play games on TV. I mean, I was dumb mm -hmm. and I didn't, I didn't get it totally, but I was like, to sit there and watch someone else play. I obviously see the appeal. It just, at the time, the concept was so weird to me. Cause I was like, no, I just want to play the game. Um, but obviously seeing it shake out, I, I, see the merits and the value i just at the time i didn't even think that concept made sense um and i just wasn't forward thinking enough or didn't understand or uh, also the consumers change social media how can you predict all that's happened right? right um so it is i think the best answer is to succeed in five to ten years you just have to constantly have an open mind and ask questions and you know sure you can make the boomer jokes and all that stuff but you need to ask those stupid boomer questions and i'm not that much of a boomer i'm not that old mm -hmm. my kids aren't that old but you know with things changing and you know i'm asked i asked my daughter questions where i get the eye roll like really dad and um but that's okay because 
that's you know we we eye rolled our parents for different things and, right. and you know so it's it's just part of natural life but but a good pr person has to pay attention and, yeah, and to listen. grow you can't be closed off yeah and you you just can't in this industry i mean maybe in some industries you don't have to grow as quickly um and I, maybe that's been part of it of i've learned to roll with the punches some and 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 you know i say punches but changes mm-hmm. um and i'm not afraid of change i'm interested and intrigued by it so hopefully that stays and i you know but it's a lot to keep up with absolutely so have anyway. you ever had to deal with any controversies surrounding the games or companies you've worked with oh sure i mean you know um one back in the early days if you remember um congress was pulling video game companies to see if they were you know and so i was at capcom and they subpoenaed records and um so that was one i didn't have to do a whole lot except be prepared to like you know what like kind of develop a q a like okay what are questions we can anticipate and what's the right answer and when i say the right answer i don't think the right answer i think when i was young and dumb I thought the right answer was being ultra clever. I actually think the right answer often now is being just honest and clear. Um, and I think that's been proven with the success of games. Like, you know, we worked on PUBG and, and that was one where I learned a whole lot um, about authentic communication. But I, I think, you know, sure, there are times when you have to be careful. You know, certainly if there's a legalities in question or any of that stuff, you, you need to be smart about it and you need to confer with people um but i think genuinely um if it's a challenge in front of you running and hiding just kind of can make it bigger and i think you have to address things head on as best you can so um yeah i mean it's sensitive i had a i had a mom call me once and her son had uh had died um and um you know she didn't know who to blame um and i just sat there and i listened to her and i think i said what any human would be like i don't like i don't care i wasn't i don't care who you're blaming right now like you are in such pain um that part of what i think people just need to hear you and um that was hard um you know, at the end of the day, um, end of that call, we, it, it was, uh, it was, um, we developed a bit of uh, rapport is not the right word. I'm a loss for words a little bit, but, um, I think she appreciated that I listened and that my focus was on, I am so sorry what you're going through and not, not fake or using it as a shield. Like, it's hard to talk to someone who goes through something like that. Um, it's much harder to be that person. Oh. Um, and so you're just trying to, I, I kind of treated that situation just like, I, I think just like a human would. Um, and so she, you know, the conversation really turned into her talking about her loss um, and me just empathizing as best I could. Cause I didn't understand, you know, course now i have kids and um i think just how profound and i think at the time i i 
I knew how profound that was, but, you know, even more put into context. So, um, you know, I think those are moments um, you hope you can turn to be the best possible. Um, and I think that's what happened there. But um, life's hard for, for everyone to some degree, right? Yeah. Um, and being human is an important part of in treating people um showing humanity and i think grace is something grace is one of those things that's really tough uh, i don't mean it necessarily in the biblical sense i mean like just showing like when i want to be defensive but instead i take the more uh positive route um and that's more of a life thing that but i think that all goes across career and stuff so um but yeah i mean i've seen a, a lot of different controversies and you get prepared i think preparation is what you do um you know sometimes it's fair sometimes it's unfair um but you have to just prepare and make sure everybody understands who's talking about it how to address things um who has the knowledge because sometimes what happens at companies people speak um and they just don't know but they sound like they're speaking for the company um, so you have to be careful of those things and, and communicate with the whole teams and say, look, here's who's going to handle this. Um, I haven't, aside from that story, I haven't dealt with things that are, I mean, there's been times, but you just deal with it sensitively. And you honestly, like any person, you do the best you can. You ask people who've been through this, like, what's the best way? How do you handle this situation? What would you do? And then you formulate your opinion and then you, you move and you pay attention to what's going on and respond. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's part of life, right? Absolutely. So, yeah. I mean, I mean, it's, you know, it feels like something happens every week in the industry. It could be like some social media manager makes a bad tweet, or it could be there's some horrible glitches in a game, or it could be something more controversial. And it's, yeah, right. I imagine it's not an enviable position for PR to be put into. Well, it's funny because, you know, the PR people, Um, I think it's good experience for people because people, comp and I'm not talking about every i'm not i'm generalizing here companies have humans in them and humans make mistakes yeah. um sometimes the mistakes are less mistakes and more just egregious and sometimes um i've been fortunate i guess to say that the times when i've dealt it with it um i didn't feel like there was any malicious intent in anything i've dealt with um for the most part uh, but yeah i think um uh you learn and and but i think you prepare and it's like if if you were facing something on your own your best situation is if you face something tough is to take a breath and prepare no matter what it is anything that can be you know traumatic or or serious try to that's when you want to try to calm the emotions down and balance yourself out so um it's tough it's tough and you ask knowing that you don't know everything is a really important part of that. And then mm. getting people's opinions who you respect. Yes. It's good advice. So yeah. What's, what's your role like now with reverb? So I am more, you know, it's funny. I used to be like Mr. Outfront, 
you know, I'm Matt Wood, like kind of like the fun. And mm-hmm. I still, I'm not, I'm not saying I'm boring now. I'm not, although I am more boring. Um, but uh, um, I am more behind the scenes working with the team, trying to help them develop strategy, trying to, you know, get work, find out the right clients we want to work with, um, and sp- hopefully inspire like the desire to dig in. Um, make decisions for the business um still do you know uh some pr and stuff but not not as you know not as much direct interfacing as it used to be just because i'm really trying to help uh people grow into those positions and and, you know i can sit there and tell people a bunch of times like anyone can tell you something but yeah it's much better to experience things and learn from mistakes and so yeah i mean i'm i'm i look at our clients um try to make sure they're taken care of um i you know it's funny is i I may play more games now than i did in the early days Hmm. and that um like in terms of no i think i do play more more games we're working on than i used to i think there was a little you know i was much more social and so i um because I was young and out, you know, and so I didn't have as much time or put as much time on games. Now I'm able to really dig in. And, and I think that's helped me develop. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, um, I think that's true. You know, when I say young, I don't mean age, by the way, I really don't. I think it's any time you come into something new, you have notions of how things work. Um, and then you learn like how things work and don't work and why, you know, what you're not thinking of when you're thinking of something. Um, so anyway, oh, that's, process. are there any like common misconceptions you would say you hear from people who are young into the industry? Um, trying to think of one, I think, I th- I think in general maybe people come in mind come to mind with how a company should work, right? Mm. Like when you're young, especially coming out of college, you've learned structure, maybe you've had some experience. Well, just like people, things don't always do what they should do or what you believe they should do. And so I think um you know, maybe just uh the ideal like ideals are really good to have but also being able to to one being open to to learning more about those ideals and and possibly they they shift with more understanding ideal might be the wrong word but like you know beliefs in how things should work i guess Mm -hmm. um so i think it is more sometimes people come in it's like well a company should do this this and this it's like yeah no kidding but there's budgets to worry about. Yeah. Um, I've got, you know, my development team is totally working on just getting the game ready. And so we completely hear people that um, they want these fixes, but there's a there's a whole bunch of other stuff that's going on behind the scenes and preparing it for the different storefronts and working with, you know, and, and they're not, you know, especially with smaller companies, they don't have endless resources. Um, and so... Um, I think certain people can really thrive in that. And I've learned that's where I enjoy um, in a little bit of less structure and 
my voice being heard, um, but that comes with more risk too. Um, so hopefully you put enough smart people around you to sound smart, you know? <laughs> so anyway. Cool. Uh, and yeah, that was all the questions I had lined up. Was there anything additional you wanted to chat about? I don't know. I mean, I think it's, it's interesting. I, I'm kind of, I mean, I, I would be interviewing you, but like your perspective, yeah. where you've come from, um, you know, you want to do voice acting. What, what's your background a little bit? I, and you don't yeah. have to answer that. I mean, in an odd way, I feel like it's kind of the inverse to yours where, mm. where more of where I started was in the writing and communication side of things. Interesting. I, yeah, I had done uh, localization and editing and some journalism uh, involved in the gaming industry. And I think somehow in the process of that, in helping some friends with their games, volunteering to do some voice acting, hearing people in the booth doing voice acting for games we were localizing, I realized this was something I really wanted to hone in on. And so I started taking the classes and uh, doing my demo reels and all that stuff. That's cool. I, I mean, you know, I wonder sometimes like, what if I had, I don't know if there was, I don't think there was that opportunity as much. Cause I'm like, you know, I've, I don't think people saw that. I mean, maybe VO work for, for animation, but now like think about how many, how many more pieces of entertainment are out there with oh, yeah. all the streaming services, all, you know, the different consoles, the amount of games, the amount of PC games, the amount of, you know, platforms, mobile, um, all the consoles, all that stuff. So um, I think there is greater opportunity, but I also think there's greater interest in it, right? Oh, yeah, greater um, competition. So, you know, that comes, it's kind of a double-edged sword, but I truly believe that, um, and I've seen it, uh, that if you, if you have the drive, I mean, I can remember... Um, some pretty prominent people now back when they were like kids um i you know jeff Keeley's is a good example of someone who um you know you know who jeff is right? yeah he's awesome i'm a big um fan. yeah so jeff um he was you know he was writing about video games when he was young and i was right. i remember talking to him um when he was pretty young when i was at capcom and to see what he's been able to do has been, and I think it's it's purely because he drove towards a vision and he stuck to his belief. Um, and he mm -hmm. built his relationships. And I think he really enjoys like all aspects of what he does. And I see that. So um, I have a lot of respect for what he's accomplished. And I think he's yeah. a good model in that. Because he really did kind of come out of being a fan who wanted to get more engaged. Yeah, he's just, he has such this genuine passion for the medium. Yeah, and he's really honed his skills, right? He's a good presenter. He's, mm -hmm. he's, he's, he's done an excellent job. So, um, you know, a lot of credit goes to him. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, so that's about it. I do have one final wrap-up question I ask everyone, and that is, where is your favorite pizza place? Ooh, it's definitely in New York. Good. God, don't don't get me on Chicago. <laughs> um, it's in so here's what okay, so 
here's what I think about New York. I am terrible at names. I mean, but you can go to like Ray's in New York and you're pretty damn happy. Mm. You know, just which is more of a chain in Manhattan. I mean, you are you from New York or yes, I'm from New York. Okay. Yeah. Um, so you can go to like Ray's Familia and grab a slice and you're happy. Um, I know I've been terrible with names, a place in the Bronx that was incredible. I think it was kind of well known. Um, but any, any, you know, New York is this like the greasy. <laughs> yeah. It's what pizza you fold the bowl. You know, I mean, that's almost like everybody talks about that now. And, but what's been cool is sure. It's not New York pizza, but New York pizza has really like most major cities have a nice thin crust. Now it's not New York, but it, it can help fill a void. Even in the town I'm in, um, there was a local place that opened up called Flappies and, they were very much New York style. Sure, you don't have the New York water and stuff, but um, aside from being in New York, they're pretty good. So I was happy to see that expand because when I I lived in Manhattan for a couple of years and when I came back to California, I was like, wow, pizza's terrible. Um, but there are more options now. So anyway. Yeah, that's it is good to see the New York style getting adopted because when I've gone to other places, it's like, oh, too much crust, not enough sauce. It's something's missing. Yeah. And it's funny because, like, before you know what New York pizza is, I think sometimes people have in their mind it's like this gourmet thing or no, 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 no. no. <laughs> it's like the opposite. It's greasy. It's, yeah. Uh, it's greasy. It's just good stuff. So, anyway, yeah. Um, it's uh gosh where's yours what what's your favorite place um i mean my favorite place is back in new york it's it started as a i think connecticut chain but it came to a few places in new york it's called frank peppies and they had i don't know i don't know why that sounds familiar but uh maybe yeah it's, it's mean, pretty well known so you probably yeah i think i had heard of, i watched the uh the impractical jokers and they, oh they, yeah and then um there was one episode where they have their favorite i can't remember the name of that i think i'd been to that one anyway um yeah i romanticize i i i longingly think of new york pizza at times um Same. but also the food in general and the culture and you know california is a great place it really is i think um there are some challenges of course but um the weather you can't beat yeah. Uh, except when it's 150. Exactly, still, right now. <laughs> I'll still take it over 90 degrees in the East Coast. Yeah, humidity. Because, oh, God. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, uh, but New York, like, you can walk outside and, there, oh, look, there's the Met. Oh, look, you know. So, anyway, I go on. But, uh, yep, you made me hungry for New York pizza now. <laughs> Don't worry, I made myself hungry, too. Good. Awesome, right. Jared. Yeah, well, thank you so much for joining me, Matt. This has been a real pleasure. Yeah, I've enjoyed myself too. Thanks for for picking up on, uh, you know, picking out the old guy to talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I could have gone older. <laughs> no, yeah, well, and uh, yeah, there's, but anyway, I appreciate it. So, um, and there's my dog. Tom. Totally. I need to feed him, so that's the bell. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for listening to Pixel Pizza. We will see you next week, and we are heading out with another track from our artist, Giant Robot, and that is called 
Ein Horde von Fusselsäcken. They are a German chiptune artist. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs>